I know I know a little something you guys don't know. Wes told me before the show started that he managed to pull off a heroic measure with one of his Arch Linux systems. And I, I got to give respect because both Beer and I have been there. You got an Arch box, something falls off your radar, you don't update it for weeks, maybe even months, and then it comes it comes due and you got to fix that box. Maybe even years. Yeah, maybe. What happened was Not quite a year, it was probably like 9 months. I moved this laptop, perfectly serviceable laptop, but uh, right now it doesn't have a working battery, so it's like a, a desktop laptop, let's call it. Hadn't updated, right? So I finally set it up, set it up on a desk, started looking around. Oh yeah, right. I was running, I had awesome setup and some other things. Couldn't install anything. Uh, but it really wasn't. I had to. I had to update a bunch of GPG keys. I had to purge all the caches, get rid of all the key stores that I had. Then work my way back through the Arch homepage, resolving each and one, every one of the little you know, user intervention required examples. <laughs> but I mean, I've done those before. I would have had to do them anyway. So it was really just paying my dues. Worked just fine. Now I'm really? up to date. No problems. It's the GPG keys that uh, that that you really gotta. You that gotta... was the that was the mm-hmm. trickiest bit. So what does this box do? It's like a home server. No, it's just a. It was a, another laptop that I have. Oh, okay. I was about to give you a hard time for running your home server on Arch because I have been oh, I there. Do, I do have a home server on Arch. My router. You do? My router runs Arch. <laughs> you maniac. This is Linux Unplugged, episode two hundred and fourteen for September twelfth, two thousand and seventeen. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's loading snaps, installing soundboards, and playing clips. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And of course, the Beard's here. Hello, Beard. Hey. Hello, sir. Beard's fresh off rebuilding our Mumble PC so that we could do the show today, like (laughs) legitimately four minutes before the show started. I told you I timed it right. (laughs) We got a good show today, so I'm really glad you got it fixed because holy smokes, you've been hearing about this Equifax breach. There is a small open source story. We'll tell you about that aspect of it. Linus has got some good ideas. We'll tell you about those. After we get through some community updates, including some potentially new Manjaro hardware, hey, yo. GNOME 3.26 goodness, and benchmarks, um. a replacement for Nalaeus, and an update from Ubuntu, we're going to get into Kali Linux for a bit. I revisited Kali Linux, I'll tell you about my adventures, and why I decided to hack my IoT devices. I decided to blow off some steam, and try to break all of my IoT devices. You've never been very trusting anyway. <laughs> so I'll tell you the tools that I used and the way you could audit your own network with Kali Linux. It's been a little while. We'll give you a little history on Kali as well. And then, at the end of the show, by popular demand, you've been waiting to for Mac OS. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close to that. We'll cover the new iPhone event. No, 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 no. It's the Gen 2 challenge. Finally. Finally, after a month of waiting, after absences and travel, we're going to get to the Gen 2 Challenge. We've been building software for weeks, and we're here to tell you how it all Power went. bills through the roof. <laughs> but before we get to all of that, we've got to bring in that mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings. El Mumble. Hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. Good to have you here today. So um, there's not uh, a lot that I feel like we could add to this Equifax story. In fact, our friends over there at the TechSnap program just covered it today, so that'd probably be where I would point you. But at this point in time, everybody's heard about the the credit bureau here in the States getting hacked. Nearly 200 million identity, really personal identification information has been stolen. And um, it turns out it's all open source's fault. 
It's all not again. It's not Equifax's fault. It's not shoddy uh, network hygiene. It's not poor update practices. It's not bad security auditing. It's open source's fault. You, I know you know about this story because you're talking about it on TechSnap. We sure did. So uh, it comes down to they're simply blaming Apache, uh, Apache Struts, mm-hmm. and Apache Struts is like a. Um, it's a obviously it's from the Apache project. It's an open source software programming model view controller, like an MVC framework for Java. And um, it's it is at the core a lot of these old business applications, and uh, they had uh, Equifax. They Equifax hired an auditor to come in, and this auditor discovered that they were using a version of Struts that has a vulnerability that's just recently been disclosed as of a couple of days ago, September fifth. Um, but of course, the hack happened earlier in the year, somewhere between mid May through July. So we're not actually sure if it was this vulnerability or maybe a different one that came out in March that they just never patched against. Right, and that those two stories are like are very different. It is totally possible that at the core of it, Struts was the issue. But I'd like like your take on this, Wes, because in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just too much of an open source defender. But to me, it seems pretty obvious. You can have vulnerable software, be it proprietary or open software, and it's about like an onion-layered approach to security. You you build your network assuming there's going to be compromises. Yeah, I think so. You, I mean, you're definitely right about that. And while there there may be cases where, you know, some software, open source or proprietary, does lead to information disclosures despite best practices being yeah. fo- followed. But before before that, and, like, obviously we want to get this patched and upgraded, you do have to understand some of the, like, what is the update hygiene patch policy, et cetera, that Equifax is, is, is using. And if that's not up to speed, that is really the problem, not whatever vulnerabilities may exist in the, I'm sure, myriad of different open source software that they're using. Yeah, and at the end of the day, there is a there is a flaw in struts. There yeah, is, right. There is a problem, and there. no one is disputing that. Well, plus you know, Chris, the code's open, so they they can just look at that code and find all the vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it works. You just read it like you would a nice book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need something else to make me feel better. Uh, I need something nice, like Wimpy. You got a new piece of hardware. I see you talking about there in the Discord, uh, like the like the smallest little portable phone I think I've seen in a long time. Do you have it with you? I've put it down and I can't see it because it's so small. Hang what, on. What is this little thing? Is this a, is this a, an Android device you've got here? The Jelly it is an Android device. The Jelly Pro. Yep. And you have it next year to a Pi Zero to give us some scale in this picture. Wow. Yeah. So it's so, about the size of a Pi Zero. So if you, if you imagine a business card, it's about the form factor of a business card, but a bit narrower. Nice. And is it um, is it a performant device? It works very well. It's a quad-core um, Cortex-A53. It's got two gigs of RAM. It's got 16 gigs of internal storage, two SIM cards, a micro SD card, Wi-Fi with 2.4 and 5 gigahertz. Oh, and 5, wow. And Bluetooth, front and rear-facing cameras, a torch, and FM radio. <laughs> How did you get this? Is This is not even shipping yet. I, I backed it. Oh, wow. So they're... So they're really on top of it. They're that's great. Yeah. This looks yeah, so it's, cool. It's uh, it's a a really nifty device. Um, I'm very impressed with it. I have to say, and I, I got mine with a few accessories, and the accessories are extremely well made as oh, well. So, what kind uh, of accessories? Uh, well, the reason I got this is because when I go out and do my walking and exercising, what have you, strapping a bloody great big, you know, yep. five and a half inch phone to your arm is yep. a bit much. This is why we, so Wes I, and I were like, just talking about watches. Like this is almost a reason to get a watch these yeah. days. 
So, um, yeah, I got this with a, an armband, a case with an armband, and I'm going to use this as my effectively my fitness tracker. So I've got my fitness tracker and Spotify installed on it, and this is what I'll go out and use for exercising. So this thing is small enough to fit in a jeans watch pocket. It yes, has, it's really small. And it has two SIM and an SD slot? Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Holy smokes. What's this thing it, called? It's the, my one's the Jelly Pro, and then there's the the smaller. Ver- well, it's not physically smaller, but there's a, a lower a lower specced version just called the Jelly. Is it USB C? Uh, no, it's micro USB. Okay. okay, so almost perfect. Does have a headphone jack though? So it does have a headphone jack. There's something for that luxury. This thing looks so neat. It's it's actually very good. I mean, I'm about, I'm genuinely huh. surprised at how good it is. What about reading and on it, that screen, like the Twitter feed or a news article? Is it is it just painfully small? No, it's it's perfect. It's perfectly usable. I mean, you can imagine how big you know watch screens are, and this is about three times the size of a watch screen. Um, it's quite low resolution, but it's it's remarkably good. I mean, as a small device, obviously you know you're not, you're not going to be typing long messages into it, but you can overcome that using the you know the voice input. So um, I'm not very good at using voice, but on this device, you kind of use it by default for everything. Um, hmm. surprise, it's just, it's very, very good. It's an, a really nifty little device. I'm not sure how long I'm going to hold on to it because my daughter's seen it and she quickly worked <laughs> out this, this is it, sort of exactly the right size for yeah. her. Yeah. My and, son would love know, this too. Yeah. It's, and also they're not expensive either. No. I think I, uh, they're, about 120 bucks. Yeah, so. yeah, they have some early birds that are still available for under $100 even. Yeah. So, you know, a, for a phone for a child that you just want them to, you know, be able to make calls and get in touch and not worry, you know, if the phone gets ruined, it's it's quite a nice device. Yeah, that is uh hmm. hmm. And with the dual SIM, when you come over to the states into into New York, you could in theory put a Ting SIM in there. And just exactly. pay for what you use while you're here. Ooh. Yeah, I feel like that. You know, I, this is totally, totally spontaneous. But I'm going to mention uh, go to go to linux.ting.com just to do there. that. Just do so it right you, now. You know, seriously, when you come to the states, and anybody else that's coming to the states that wants to be able to use their phone and doesn't want to get totally just unless you have some amazing plan, uh, go to linux.ting.com when you're coming. I hear from the audience that they do this because one of the things people always give us feedback on is, well, Ting is a U.S. only opportunity so, so i can't get it outside the u.s but when you travel oh. here uh, alan is, alan has done this this is uh this is something that i i really think i wish i could do i wish i could do the opposite of this when i leave the states uh linux.ting.com it's a really great simple way to get easy pay for what you use wireless you just pay for the minutes you use and the megabytes you use while you're here and there's no contract no early termination fee you can log into the website and turn off the line it's really nice pay for what you use nationwide coverage CDMA and GSM with a great dashboard. That's I'm, I'm going to do like a quicker one because I didn't plan to do the Ting read there. But then when I see that device, it's so it's so perfect because you can buy this thing for a hundred bucks, hundred and forty bucks. You can put a Ting sim in there. I wonder if you could switch between CDMA and GSM live too. Oh, that would be slick. Hmm. Well, that's really really cool, Wimpy. And uh, I'll be curious to hear your uh, thoughts on it uh, later. Have you uh, tried like the built-in speaker? How's the sound on it, like for podcasts? Um, it's good enough. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's for, for what it cost and its size, it's a pretty remarkable little gadget. I am, I am very, very happy with it. Nice. Um, 
yeah, I'm I'm surprised surprised and impressed by just how good it is. I was just reading an email on here um, just to answer <laughs> your question. Yeah, perfectly readable. And I assume you put um, Telegram no on there. Telegram performs okay. Uh, I haven't put Telegram. I've kept it just to the things because there's only two gigs of RAM. Um, I've just decided to keep it to the minimal hmm. um, things that I need for exercising. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's but what I, I was thinking. I, I did put a 32 gig micro SD card in it and used the option to merge that with the internal storage. So it's now got about 40 gigs of internal storage available, you know, as it reports as a, a single file system. So it's, um, yeah, it's pretty great, really. Yeah, I say good on you, too, to keep the distractions off the exercise device. That's pretty neat. And it's, you know, cheaper than a, a Fitbit, a decent Fitbit. Uh, so that's pretty cool. The Jelly, the Jelly smartphone. The Jelly Pro. The smallest. Everybody's going big, and this is the smallest. And then, you you know, I, again, just free free plug here but you put on the ting network that's that's two things i like this i like small indie stuff that's that's cool if you break it it's not the end of the world mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it makes me a bit jelly <laughs> ah, boom <laughs> i see what you did there i see what you did there so linus has an idea how about instead of hacking linux okay stay with me instead of hacking linux you join and participate huh you mean hack on Linux? Yeah. Whoa. Actually, you know, I joke, but this is legitimately an advantage that open source software has. Uh, so Linus says, you may not be able to reach absolute security, but people that deploy default models are so much better off today. We're making obvious improvements. <clears throat> He's talking, by the way, about the kernel. Uh, Torvalds also noted that uh, technical persons uh, that, have, that, have been impre- that have impressed him have been people who go after the Linux code. There are smart people doing bad things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I wish they were on our side and they could help us, Torvald said. Uh, where I want us to go is to get as uh, many smart people as we can before they turn to the dark side. We would improve security that way and get those who are interested in security to come to us before they attack us. That's all it would take, Wes. I mean, you're right that that is an advantage of open source is that like, yeah, come join us, come make yeah. it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I, just, I mean you can still uh, still exploit it on the side to make money. He's not saying that you can't do that. Just also fix it upstream yeah. afterwards. We'll save that part for the Kali Linux. Segment. Yes, right. Hey-o. That's right. Woo. So GNOME three two six lands tomorrow. I think is it this Wednesday? This coming it's Wednesday? coming up. Yeah, it does. It's yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So if all goes well, which I believe it will, uh, by the time most people hear in this show, it'll be old news. I guess. Think about that, guys. That's frightening. Right now, we're living in the pre-Gnome 326 world, but the people listening, they got the edge up on us. They're already in a Gnome 326 world. It's just remarkable. If I just Pac-Man a little harder, is it? will I get it now? <laughs> Can I do that? No, you got to wait about a month. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's some interesting benchmarks over at Veronix. Uh, Michael Larbell has uh, posted benchmarks of Gnome 3.26 on Wayland versus your X11. And uh, notes that the Wayland desktop loads uh, slightly faster. I like that. There's no real significant difference in memory and battery consumption between Wayland and X at this time. On the benchmarks that use Wayland directly, there's no significant difference between Mutter and using w- w- Mutter and Wayland or Mutter and Xorg. And on benchmarks that were forced to use X Wayland, there's about a five frame per second loss using X Wayland. Versus straight X org. Mm. But what struck me about this, this is my summation of reading his article. What struck me about this is that it wasn't a huge penalty to use Wayland. 
that it wasn't a dramatic issue to use Wayland. Like we, that Wayland is essentially at competitiveness with Xorg right now. Don't you think that's kind of don't I don't know beer what either. And to me that seems pretty remarkable actually. I, I would have figured it would have either been way behind or way ahead. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it isn't in, it's in performance. This is what this, these benchmarks are talking about. Like, it doesn't talk about the fact that it's missing a ton of features. Yeah, right. Sure. It's just frame rate, low desktop time. Yeah. Well, I guess I expected Wayland. I thought we'd be paling a Wayland price. For or should we be disappointed that it's not a lot faster? Well, that's what the internet's taken away from this. The, <laughs> the, the average internet comment reads like, See, I told you, Xbox fine. The X-Org's fine. We don't need anything else. There's this guy. He's flying around in an airplane outside the studio right he's now. He's running X-Org. He has a big banner that says X-Org is fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, is, that is what's happening right now. Um, and I take, I, I take from this at least that part of the transition. This singular, isolated part of the transition to Wayland hopefully won't suck too bad. That's what I took from it. Gnome 3.26. Going to be in that there Ubuntu, too, I believe. Going to be there in that 17.10. Uh, going to be on... There's a there is a there's a negative side to three two six though uh, the oh. removal of the API for the system icons. Yes, but we talked we talked about it a little bit, um, and it's worth touching on because I don't really understand what I'm going to do <laughs> other than load the top icons extension. Mm-hmm. It's like they forced there's, my hand. There's actually like a weird situation where the top icons extension currently works now and will not work in the future. What? And what? Yeah. what? 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 Yeah. What? So uh, they pointed out that. You know, in the in the post, they're like, "Well, if if you want to continue using top icon stuff, that that'll be available." Yeah. But, but they didn't point out in the comments that in the the blog post that GTK four removes the support for what G- top icons uses. Whoa! So that it's not even going to be possible to use top icons; it's going to be deprecated automatically. So I'm switching but, to Unity. <laughs> well, there's uh, there's actually a Ubuntu noticed that and saw that that's that's going to be a going away. There is a different. Uh, extension called K Status Notifier App Indicator or something like that. It's it's really long. It's hot. Yeah, they they forked that and pr- are using that because it doesn't depend on the same API that Top Icons uses. Oh. That's why the, the new Ubuntu version has that. So in theory, if you in the future you could use that extension instead of Top Icons. Hmm, okay. I I look at uh, I'm looking at mine right now and I see Spotify, I see Dropbox. And I see Skype, and I see Mumble. And I think out of all of those, the only one that has any chance of updating it with any reasonable amount of time is Mumble. Mm-hmm. Dropbox isn't going to give two shits, are they? Is, what, do you know anything about that, Rotten? Is, is, is this a... Uh, I don't is, think Mumble's going to care either. I, I don't honestly either, but if any of them was going to, right? I mean... Yeah, they're the best li- likelihood, yes. Uh, I, I think that it's... it's Because they're, they're Gnome is looking at it as if because they don't like something, they think something is antiquated, that means everybody else should just follow suit. Whereas, you know, the platform people switch from have this incredibly, you know, long standpoint. Yeah, they're expecting this type of thing to exist, and then you just remove it regardless of what people think. Like, uh... Yeah. That's problematic at best. this This is my issue. Now, that is tempered by the fact that... Gnome 326 also has the new uh, settings pane. Oh, yeah. The new right. redesign. I've been excited for that. More like um, 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 Mac OS 6. I don't know if you guys remember Mac OS 6 from the 80s, but it's more like that mm. control panel. <laughs> and it's way better. It's what, what is old is new again. Yeah, That's it really right. is. But That is how computers it's, work. It's way easier for my brain to process a, a list on the side, and then I click it, and then the U. It's, it's going to be more like Gnome Tweak, but it looks way better. 
And um, that's in 326. So like 326 is like a mixed bag for me because it's a good release. It's got updates to Epiphany. It's got updates to uh, Gnome Photos, which I just like for just basic photo viewing. Uh, but it's got this like like producer Michael was just talking about this removal of the uh, system tray icon support, which every time we go through this is a huge pain in my arse. And it's a constant and, source of questions. And it's probably like one of the top five extensions people use in the first mm-hmm, place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got all I got all worked up. I think was it last week about the GNOME project recommending people install an extension. Yeah, GNOME. Yeah. I think our yeah, that just. God. They also re- they recommend other things too for extensions because they don't really want they don't I see. so little things they want to do as default. It's uh, it's problematic. But if if they were managing the extensions, that'd be one thing. But they just you know letting the community do it. What if someone? What if they re- remove some API like they're doing for this? What if they just annoy someone enough where they just give up and stop maintaining them? Like I mean, you're you're yeah, exactly you're setting setting it up to fail. Do you, but, uh, when you hear stuff like this, do you think, boy, if I wasn't already using Plasma as my main desktop, I'd switch? Because it makes me think, I gotta be honest, Ron, it makes me think, just screw this. I'm just gonna go use the Plasma desktop and make it work. Because I was a known maintainer for extensions at one point, and <laughs> I quit because they, I, the example I gave of people abandoning it is because I was one of them. Yeah. I maintained 10, 10 extensions, and every single time, there was a new update. All of them broke. And and there was nothing wrong with my extensions. Like, mm-hmm. they, they all worked. Mm-hmm. I even adopted other extensions from other people and, like, fixed them. And, and most of the time, like, the, auto, uh, the audio input switcher, like, there was nothing wrong with it. It worked perfectly fine. The only thing it needed was to have a version update. Mm. So, the, like, the fact that that's, like, you know, not only are we not going to make a system where when it updates, it's going to, like, check to see if it works and then say if it works or not and give you like a flag where you have to update it or something. It's yeah. just, we're going to assume it's automatically broken and just break it. So like at that point where I had to update 10 and then I started getting requests from people updating stuff. And then I was like, you know, I, after about, I think I had like the most I ever had was like 16 at one release. And I was like, I'm, I'm done. I don't, I'm not trying to fix this. Right. You know? Yep. And so here's where I'm at right now. And, um, I, I'm kind of waiting to see, but I feel like maybe as GNOME grows and as the as they move the platform forward and as they make decisions that they feel are the best that the decisions to make for them, uh, maybe we are moving into a world where if you're going to use the GNOME desktop, you need a high-level curator like Canonical to come along or like Fedora to come along and really sort of think about this stuff. Think about how to do the dock extension. Think about the system tray icon notification problem. Think about the theming issues. Uh, think about all of the things around that and implement it correctly. And that's really the only way to have a usable workhorse GNOME desktop, perhaps. And, uh, and, 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 and rolling it yourself on a Gentoo or an Arch, which we're, we'll get to here in a moment, um, you know, is, is t- it's too hacked together unless you really follow this stuff. Like, if you listen to every episode of this show, you could probably make it work. So Yeah, I would agree with that, except I would point out that Fedora is on the same side as GNOME as far as, like, the top icons and stuff like that. Okay. They made a blog right, post about... Yeah. It was <laughs> hilarious because they made a blog post about, like, and these and developers are not getting, uh, are not updating their applications. Yeah, what's wrong with all these developers? Systems. They're not following the whims of the GNOME team. What's wrong with them? 
<laughs> and I yeah. mean, I do feel the alternative, like they want to be able to update. But when you are shipping things that people use in a stable way, you have to do that in a non-breaking way or at least try yeah, very hard well, not to. Like producer Michael was saying, especially when it's something that is a, is like a paradigm of how you interact with your desktop. Yes. The, the question then becomes for me is, do I really want to be using a desktop where the developers can't do that work themselves and you have to have an additional maintainer to make the desktop good? Well, at least it can be done. You know, at least you can have somebody create their quote unquote sane defaults. Yeah. Maybe there's a there's another issue of what about you know how like for a long time GNOME has been like I don't know, like the powerhouse as far as like what DEs are based on. Mm. But if you look at like uh Budgie where it was um there's they announced that they're gonna switch to Qt and other app other things that are switching to Qt already like as LX well, like Qt. LX Qt, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like if you look at the code of Budgie there's some weirdness in there, like where they actually have to pretend to be gnome in certain cases. Right, yep. It's like so, like it, when you said that they were making decisions that work best for them, I was like, I think that's like the detriment to them. Yeah, maybe. You know, they're trying to have a vision and they're trying to have a philosophy, and so part of this notification tray icons thing is that philosophy. Yeah. In their world, the user never had any control. You installed that son of a bitch application and that sucker put that tray icon down there. You never asked for that. You never asked for that stupid notification or that spinning sync icon. And you, you know, you really have no other way to interact with the application other than, guess what? That tray icon. And so no one wants to give the power back to the user. It's a philosophy. And it's one that I can, I can, I can understand and appreciate. But there's a, there is a practical aspect to this. And it feels like they're kind of far away, separated from like the day-to-day support concerns of someone using that, great right? Point. Whereas great Ubuntu point. knows how, how to do that. That's a, that's a great point. So let's pause right there because that's – damn, you just nailed it. Because um, I want to talk about what they're doing. And uh, specifically, there's a new post uh, about uh, uh, Gnome Shell in Ubuntu 17.10. I'm trying to trying I'm trying to be like cautious about what I say because I don't want to give too much away because I really want us to roll into it. So let me start by saying thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring oh, yeah. this here show. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplug. Thanks to you guys for going there and letting Linux Academy know. Hey, on the Unplugged program, I heard about you. I came here. You have that in your log now. You know that they sent me and. As a thank you, they'll give you a seven-day free trial. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplug. So why am I sending you there? Well, it's in the name, Linux Academy. It's a platform to teach you everything about Linux. Created by Linux enthusiasts, Linux professionals, people that really love Linux and want to spread it, people that honestly, I think, had the intention of getting more users to Linux. And I really could connect with that because Anthony, the guy that founded Linux Academy, I talked with him for ages before he was... An advertiser before he launched the platform, just talking about how to get Linux out into the hands of more people. So when they launched, I was so excited to be one of their launch partners, to have a sponsorship here. I remember talking to Anthony while they were building the virtualization system that'll spin up servers on demand that match the courseware you've chosen for Debian or Red Hat or Ubuntu. They'll also do AWS, Azure, OpenStack courseware, the really high-level stuff. They'll help you focus on certifications if you need to go that route. Offline study is no problem at all. It Again, it's a real platform for this kind of stuff. It's the Linux Academy. New to the world of Linux, Azure, and AWS, OpenStack, and DevOps, a sharp skill set is an absolute necessity to succeed. 
Meet Linux Academy, an online Linux and cloud training platform that uses self-paced video courses and hands-on labs to give you real-world experience for a wide range of skills. And their community is full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. They're always adding new features, so that way you get the most out of your subscription. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there and try it out seven days for free. And thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. So we have another post from Didrocks, and we've been linking to these for quite a while in the show notes. And I love this. It's, the, it's like a blog journey to 1710 and the decisions that they're making. And this week we talk about GDM, collaboration, and theming. Now, I'm covering this for many reasons because uh, it's, it's historical to watch Canonical make the switch here on the show. Can't believe we're mm-hmm. documenting this. Think about that for a second. Wow. Wow, it's really hitting me. Like right now as I'm talking to you guys, it's really hitting me that I watched, I have been podcasting, I have been podcasting since Ubuntu was created. I podcasted the announcement of Unity. Wow. Brian Lunduke and I covered it at Linux Fest because it was news then. I remember the episode that we covered the announcement of Unity. I remember watching the... um, Netbook edition of Ubuntu. I remember watching that be born and Unity inspired from that. Gnome 3, all of it. I've, I've watched all of it. And now I'm watching them transition back to Ubuntu Gnome. And the weight of that is really hitting me as we record this episode right now. Like, I, am, I, I have really watched the transition here. And I got to tell you, watching them re-land back into Gnome, um, if, if you had asked me to make the most optimistic prediction of how they would handle this, I wouldn't have gotten it this close. I, 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 couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for a better re-landing into the GNOME world. So this week we're talking about GDM. It turns out GDM, the GNOME Display Manager, that login screen, that ugly login screen that runs in the background and takes up a ton of memory and is really a son of a bitch, uh, it's also hard to theme. And it's one of the areas where the GNOME developers have been particularly protective of because if you're having any kind of problem in your GNOME session, they don't want GDM to be affected because you got to get back to your login screen. Right. So you can choose like a safe It keeps mode. everything running in that sense. So one of the ways that they've accomplished that, the GNOME team, is they have hard-coded the theme for GDM. So that way it just uses something simple and it always works. And it's rock solid. Regardless of whatever crazy lunatic theme you've loaded in your GNOME shell, your GDM session, rock solid. Add Wadia, buddy. Unless you don't want that, which pretty much no distro maker wants. They want to re-theme GDM to make it match the login session. Of course. And they want the login, I mean the desktop session. The login session matches the desktop session. It's a big kumbaya. And it's something that I've noticed some people are commenting in the early betas of Ubuntu about already, the GDM theme here and there. Um, And it's something that the Pop! OS folks have been working on. This is where we end up today. This little problem. The guys over at System, guys and gals over at System76, they want to solve the problem of an ugly GDM. And Canonical also has a problem they want to solve. They want to be able to apply their Ubuntu style without stepping all over the toes of anybody that might be deriving off of Ubuntu. And they'd like to do it in a way that is maintainable and upstreamable. And uh, I believe these two things are not 100% aligned, but they're pretty close. So it sounds like over the last couple of weeks, Canonical worked with System76 
worked with Jeremy over at System76. Wow. And together they came up with a way to sort of fix this problem, to sort of apply a patch to GDM that would work upstreams that people could change the theming. Now, I don't really know, I don't really, you know, when it, I start to gloss over when you start talking about applying CSS themes to GDM. Uh, but I do see that this is a, a wider problem that we've, we've been running into for a while. And it's nice to see a proposed solution. Nothing's really been accepted upstream yet. But uh, I, I feel like there might be there might be a, a larger ramification, larger impact here, which I'll get to in a moment. But uh, Wimpy, if your ears are burning because I've missed or I've gotten something wrong, if you want to jump in with any corrections at this point, probably a good chance before I keep going. Well, you have me at a disadvantage actually because I've I've been away. Oh yeah, that's um, right. for a while. I want to talk so, about that. So um, I haven't had the chance to you catch up with let my colleagues wrap, and. So let me wrap this real quick and then let's talk about that. So uh, uh, short the short version of this is is that Diddler and uh, <laughs> and Jeremy are uh, working together to uh, come up with an upstreamable version where patches can be applied, where people won't be stepping on each, each other's toes. Uh, I, I will save my commentary for now on how this could be our first example of Pop! OS development colliding with uh, the wider Ubuntu development. I'll save that uh, for future commentary because I'd love to hear about Wimpy's trip to Perry. Oh, he just got, yeah. yeah. I saw some... I saw some once in a lifetime selfies come across Wimpy's uh, Twitter feed over the last week. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go find those because you know whenever you can get the Eiffel Tower in your selfie, that's a that is a, a rather good selfie. So where were you, Wimpy? Uh, well, we were in Paris. So <gasps> no. and we were at uh, UbuCon Europe, uh, which was being hosted by the French Loco at a massive museum uh, in Paris. That is too cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. UbuCon. UbuCon. Boy, all these conferences. You got New York coming up soon. You got Paris. You are a world traveler, Wimpy. Yeah. So UbuCon's an entirely community um, created event and they happen all over the world and different um, locos and lugs and what have you organize these events around the world. So when the UbuCon happens in uh, California, it's usually coinciding with scale and happening at the same mm-hmm. um, venue, right. um, you know, a day or so beforehand. Yeah. Uh, but this one's just a standalone. This was, um, yeah, it was, um, it was a four day, four day event. Um, so it started, well, it was a, a three day event for the UbuCon, but there was, um, a sort of a get together the day before it started with sort of the, um, the core organizers, um, to come together, uh, and sort of, you know, make sure they were all set and ready to go. Uh, and we were fortunate enough to be there and catch up with them that evening. And some of the early arrivers, uh, some of you know our friends from the Ubuntu community from around Europe, and it's you know great to catch up and socialise. So, you know, during the day, it's um, tracks of talks and workshops, and um, uh, there's even a, a gaming room set up, mm, you know, with wow. PCs with games running and all the rest of it, um, and rooms with all the audio equipment so um the various podcasters can go and record you know live podcasts and what have you Which so there's you there's, did right yeah so popey and i participated in two podcasts whilst we were there uh, we <laughs> we um we both appeared on the on the spanish podcast and then we were part of a podcasting panel so we had um 
the guys from Lubuntu Podcast in France, Popey and I from Ubuntu Podcast. I don't know the name, but the I think it's um, Ubuntu Podcast Portugal and then Ubuntu Fun. So there were six or seven of us and sort of um, scripted by the German guys. You know, we had some show notes and then very much ad hoc uh, in front of um, a live audience. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's always good fun. Yeah, lots um, of fun. I uh, So I was inspired by a slide that uh, was from a talk that I think Dustin Kirkland was giving at Ubicon where he listed like the top 10 features uh, or the top 10 new features for Ubuntu 1710. And uh, I wanted to take yeah. that list. I want to I want to put it in text somewhere. So I want to I, I actually kind of like to get your your take on it. But I expanded on the list and I actually think it's, I already have more features to add to it. But let me know if I'm missing anything. So 1710. Um and I, I want to I wanna preface before I say this. I'm, I don't have any skin in the game. Uh, right now, I run Solus. The machine t- to my left runs Arch. The, machine, the next machine to my left runs Arch. Uh, what are you running right there to my right? This is running Arch. Okay. So we have, and then we have two Arch systems upstairs. We have an Arch server here and a, and a Proxmox server. The only Ubuntu system in the Jupyter Broadcasting Studio is the one running the Mumble machine that Noah installed. So I don't, I don't have like an agenda here. I don't have any... There's nobody paying me say, to say uh, this. No agenda. But I'm going to say that I will say this. Um, I would ask both of you and anyone in the mumble room to tell me what what distribution release has ever had a feature list like this. And I haven't even added all of them yet. This is what I have right now. The top 14 new features for Ubuntu 17.10. And GNOME replaces Unity, number one, obviously. Tons of Bluetooth improvements, a thousand bug fixes, a new Blue Z stack. Number three, switch to lib input. Number four, Improved 4K multi-monitor and scaling technology support. We've talked about that. High DPI improvements. Number five, upgraded to Network Manager 1.8. Much improvement. Big improvement there. Number six, new sub, sub-equity. Equity? Whatever. It's the new server installer. Number seven is the minimal images. 36 megabyte, 20% smaller images. Huge. That's a huge, that's a huge savings. Number eight, finally, for fuck's sake, auto-remove of old kernels from slash boot. Number nine, extended for encryption with FS encrypt. Number 10, improved CUDA and CPU acceleration support. And this one I'm, I'm feeling like could almost be two, but I'm including hardware accelerated codecs in that one. Hardware accelerated codecs. I'm going to say it one more time. Hardware accelerated codecs. Just going to mention that. Uh, new doc that we've talked about with the upstream collaboration, the G schema support for uh, elegantly handling settings changes and disappearing when you turn on dash to dock. And now with the status icon support, which is great. Net plan by default switching from IF config is number 12. Number 13 is GCC7 out of the box. And number 14 is Wayland by default. And number 15, which I don't have on the list yet because it hasn't happened yet, because all of these have happened. All of these have happened. What is about to happen, potentially, is kernel 4.13 as well, which will be feature 15. And I'll have a top 15 list for Ubuntu 17.10. Now, I haven't seen anybody put a list together quite consecutively like Dustin did. Now, I've built off of Dustin's list here. But I challenge you to tell me one other release of any Linux distro ever since you've been following Linux that has been this packed full of features and this big of a change. Hmm. Chris, I can't think of one, dude. <laughs> I can't either. Like this is this is big. This is really big. And this is af- yeah. this is in the middle of a company restructuring, reorganizing of the company. Like there are some companies where that would put them on their back heels for a year just to sort that shit out. 
Well, I got to be honest, Chris. I have been through distro after distro, LFS, as you know, uh, Gen 2, Arch, the whole nine yards. And I got to say, I'm more impressed with this new Ubuntu spin than all of that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, that's, um, and I haven't even finished the list yet. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> you know? God. I can think of things with individual components, like maybe System D switch or mm-hmm. other things that were that were of similar scale. But these is a... It's a far-ranging set of changes. This isn't even the LTS. Like, if all this stuff is decent in 1710, all this stuff just has to be even decent in 1804 Polished, for yeah. the LTS to be great. Like, Yeah, but that's, that's exactly the fact. I have to test it for the LTS. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't introduce these uh, to the LTS. You have to test them first. It's the way to do it, though. It is, yeah. It's a classic Ubuntu-style development approach. It's a tried-and-true method. So if I can just add to, to that list... yeah. The um, Dustin gave a couple of presentations whilst he was at UbuCon, um, and the slide that you've used there was from he was doing the closing keynote. So he did the the keynote that 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 that, that wrapped up the event, and what he was presenting was all of the feedback that had been captured from those various user surveys that he's been running through Hacker News and Reddit and right. Slashdot and OMG Ubuntu. And all of those things that were on um, Dustin's slide were the top things. So they he did a whole load of natural language processing to actually figure out what people were asking for. And basically, everything that was in Dustin's slide were the top things that people were asking for, and therefore they got addressed wow. in this cycle. So that was the the crux of his presentation in that your feedback is important and matters to us. And here's us actioning the things that are most important to you. I, I, I'm not going to name names of other distros. But there has been distro releases recently where legitimately the new wallpaper is part of the release notes. Because right? that's like the, the minimal amount of change. Um, I, I just, I really am impressed. I am really impressed. Like when... When when Mark made his initial initial announcement, I just was having a conversation with somebody about this yesterday. That somebody being Michael Dominic. When Mark made his announcement that uh, Canonical was uh, done with Unity and that Ubuntu would be shipping GNOME, I think a lot of people walked away with the impression that it was sort of like a wiping the hands. We're just gonna we're just gonna give you stock GNOME. We're not gonna bother with it and uh, have at it. That the desktop wasn't the being yep. focused anymore. Right. Hope you enjoy your stock GNOME. We're done. And uh, I, I just i i have a i have a loose appreciation from the outside of the amount of work that must have gone into this, which means it must have been ten times the amount of work that I'm picturing. So it was anything but that. It was the opposite of what a lot of people were pontificating was the end of the Ubuntu desktop. It was, uh, it was, uh, and that's top fourteen new features that like are worth like talking right, about. How right many now. of those are like server? features right there's a lot of stuff here that shows like they they're they still care they are innovating on these things right and seeing this kind of feedback cycle and work that's exciting too and one of the reasons i'm excited for kernel 413 which is on target you know we it's not locked in yet but it's on target for 1710 is it's got the baked in mainlined app armor support so it's like it's sort of like a coming of age in a way for app armor which snap confinement's based on which is the which is the um Mandatory access control horse that both SUSE and Ubuntu have bet on, mm-hmm. and it's my preferred out of S- between SE Linux and AppArmor. 
Uh, having worked with both of them in production, I clearly understand AppArmor and SE Linux. I just sort of funnel my way through. And uh, so if I had to implement one, I would prefer to use AppArmor. So talking about the kernel, as of yesterday, 4.13 is in the proposed pocket. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that is. I, I, will, I will update that list. I can't. I'm holding that as my 15th feature to add to the list because that's... Okay, well... The, the one to add alongside Network okay. Manager is in addition to Network Manager 1.8, the captive portal stuff is enabled and fully working now. And oh. lots of people were making good use of that um, at UbuCon because everything was behind a captive portal. <laughs> and it was kind of fun to see them all sort of blinking and then grinning at the captive portal screen just popping up when they joined the wi-fi networks i have no idea what to expect network wise while i'm in new york uh we're trying to decide if if we should try to do user air from the hotel room while we're in new york that no, would be I, fun we're gonna be there you should i think so I, but we just don't have, we have no idea what the connectivity is gonna be you know i wish there was a way like we need like a database mm-hmm. has a captcha has you know requires you use their dns or like well, all these like little qualifiers you know google has this database they just don't share it with yeah. us so getting that built in into network manager or is it is it part of network manager wimpy or is it a component alongside a network manager i wasn't clear yeah so there's there's two pieces to it there's um a component in network manager that needs to be enabled um that actually does the um detection of um you know your connectivity state and whether you're behind a captive portal or not um, and that that emits um, over Dbus, and then okay. there's a component that's hardwired to the GNOME shell that then looks at that to determine what the network status is, and when it picks up the signal that you're behind a captive portal, it fires open a web view and takes you to that captive portal. Brilliant! I really will appreciate that. That's become very important recently in my life. Um, now, I, now I got oh go ahead I, I will just say because let's just get this out of the way because there are people that care about this stuff in order for that to work it has to ping some known host in order mm-hmm. to look for various status oh, codes oh sure yep yep okay and that's connectivitycheck.ubuntu.com in the privacy settings for Ubuntu 17.10 is the option to disable that connectivity check hmm, so okay. if you don't want it to leak you know stuff um then you can just disable that and you will have no captive portal automatic detection and if you want to run like that an interesting feature i noticed in firefox which i i don't know when it cropped up but i'm i'm told fairly recently if you open firefox and it's behind a captive portal firefox detects that now and prompts you accordingly as well that's nice that is really nice that has been something that has kind of been wonky on some setups in the past and really hurts inexperienced users i think so i have two more items now that you're here wimpy just that i would love to chat with you about um i'd love to sort of back our way into 1710 matei edition of ubuntu here because um i know that there is a big feature for me that uh, i loved when i was on the unity desktop that has made its way into ubuntu matei 1710 and i don't know if you saw the feedback I imagine you must get all kinds of different feedback for this stuff. But one thing that I saw people talking about, which seemed really misinformed, was, well, now I have to drop Mate because it's just adding all of the bulk and cruft that modern desktops have. And what I'm alluding to is pretty much full-on, and correct me if I'm wrong, full-fledged HUD support like we had in Unity 7 in Ubuntu Mate. If you go with the Mutiny theme, you turn on HUD support, you turn on Compiz, you're getting really close to where you were with Unity 7, and it's got certain people, certain neckbeards, 
upset. And so I got this email from this guy who says that he's switching now to XFCE because Matei is getting too bloated. So I thought maybe if you explained a little bit of how HUD works, about how what 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 talks to HUD and how that all happens, and maybe help people understand how it's not a bunch of bloat and tell people what the feature is. Well, the feature is the ability to search the menus. So, you know, your file, edit, view, tools, help menus that you see in all of your applications. It's the ability to search through those. So you hit the alt key, an overlay appears, and you start typing to filter down what features of the menus you want to access. So you could type print, for example, instead of having to go grab your mouse, go to file, go down to print, you could just keep your hands on the keyboard and type in print and that would come up. Yeah. And it's particularly useful for applications that have lots of filters. So audio editors and, you know, the office suites and (laughs) Inkscape and GIMP. Yeah. You know, when, when there are no convenient key bindings to complex filters, it's a great way to find them very quickly. Now, behind the scenes, the way this all works is through um, GTK models, uh, model menu, and some DBus services. Um, and what's providing that DBus registrar is the new global menu. So the global menu provides that DBus registrar. And then we also load a GTK module, which is called Unity GTK module, um, which is kind of a misnomer. What it's actually doing is providing the app menu model stuff. It's got very little to do with Unity right. itself. And so to just sort of clarify your point there a bit, what's happening is these menu options are being exposed via Dbus. So it's not like there's yeah. some global scraper running in the background that's reading all of the menus of every application. The applications are advertising these features to Dbus. Dbus then enumerates that to the HUD and That's already happening in the background regardless. It's not a big bulk add of uh, processing, correct? Yeah, and if if you run one of the themes that doesn't use the global menu, then none of that stuff is there anyway. So none of that stuff is resident in memory. Okay, okay. Um, Now, what I would say is if you uh, really feel that that is an unacceptable additional amount of memory, and it's not much, by the way, um, then fine, run Lubuntu, run Zubuntu, go elsewhere. That's absolutely fine. Um, from the very first day that we created Ubuntu Mate, I have an objective in the, um, in the objectives of the project. The application choices would uh, feature feature-rich applications and wouldn't um, chase after lightness or whimsy. Mm. Um, and... Ubuntu Mate still runs on a Raspberry Pi with one gig of RAM. (laughs) If you've got less than one gig of RAM and you're upset that Ubuntu Mate doesn't run well in, you know, one gig of RAM, then fine, go elsewhere. That's that's absolutely fine by me. I think it's a perfect balance. I think the the project, I mean, is is constantly evaluating this question and striking such a good balance between modern-day desktop features and a traditional computing paradigm. It's, It's... with as much as I talk about 17.10 right now, I'm not necessarily sold on running straight Ubuntu 17.10. Um, I'm also heavily considering giving the Ubuntu Mate spin a try, simply for all of these little added extra perks here. How has the yeah. uh, how's the new alpha been received by the community? Uh, very po- or very beta well. Now. It's beta yeah. one now, right? Is it's, 
it's beta one. Yeah. Um, I did a presentation about it at UbuCon. It was very well received. Um, yeah. Uh, Good. and we're, I, I was also, um, when I was at UbuCon, the Etienne is our new QA lead. He's been involved in the project for some considerable time, but has recently taken on the role of QA lead. Oh, congrats. And he lives in France. So he made the trek up from the south of <laughs> France to Paris, and we met for the first time over the weekend. Oh, very good. And spent some time together planning. So that was really great, you know, to, to meet people on a project who, you know, you've not met in person. Um, yep. I absolutely love that. That's one of the but, reasons I'm um, looking forward to going to New York. Yeah, and th- this thing about, you know, I'm going to rage quit a particular distro, um, fine. But the thing is, is you're talking about leaving a distribution where all of these options are options mm-hmm. and you could just use a different, you mm-hmm. know, we've preserved that traditional layout, the the as granddad remembers it two panel layout that has been there <laughs> forever with GNOME yeah. 2 is still the default layout. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't use indicators and it doesn't use the HUD and it doesn't use compis or any of this stuff. So I don't understand the rationale for, right, I'm rage quitting because it's got all of this stuff that I have to go and turn on that is not default. It's crazy talk. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. So the second item I have before you can, uh, before you can stop talking so much is uh, this is all, this is your fault. Just as I was coming to closure on Nelaus N1. Oh, yeah. Just as I was getting to some sort of peace with that, you tease me with Mailspring, which isn't actually available for download yet. No! But it is a fork of Nelaus Mail. Now, Wes, I know uh, you, myself, Wimpy, we've, we've been big... We're a little community here. We've been big Nelaus users yes. in the past, and then they announced that they were shutting that ass down. Turns out their API makes them a bunch more dough, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So Wimpy found uh, Mailspring at getmailspring.com. Say hello. Kind of looking forward to this. Looks like, nice, though. Yeah, it has essentially all the same features that you came to love and expect uh, from Nelaus. It has uh, the really creepy but yet advanced and surprisingly useful open tracking mm-hmm. features. I don't know about self-hosted or any of that, uh, but I'm thinking about signing no, up. None for of it. that. None of that self-hosting is required. So Nilus Mail um, or Nilus N1 mm. was the original Mail client. Mm-hmm. That used all of the cloud services to do all of the mail syncing. Right. The Nihilus mail, which right. was the open source Was more version, like an offline. Had that be. sync engine integrated mm-hmm. locally, so yeah. you didn't have to go elsewhere. Now, what's interesting about uh, Get Mail Spring is that um, Ben Gotto, who was one of the original members of the Nihilus mail team, right. h- his company is now stewarding this fork and he was the principal developer of Nihilus Mail. That is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And what they're already doing is they're like reworking that sync engine. So the sync engine was written in JavaScript, I imagine Node, and they've already replaced it with a new sync engine, which is implemented in C++. And they're claiming that it uses 50% less RAM and it's considerably um, faster and uh, improves battery endurance. So it looks like they're trying to get all that new, that re-factored uh, sync engine integrated before they they make a, make it available for download. But I've I've already signed up to this to stay informed of developments, and I'm very very interested to see how this pans out. Hmm. I'm thinking about doing the same. I I, I really I really liked Nelaus Mail specifically N one, but Nelaus Mail too. So I'm thinking about doing the same. What do you think, Wes? You, you think it's possible? Maybe like a new hope. Maybe it's a new hope, Wes. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I appreciate a lot of what what they had done and having a bunch of this all be open source anyway. Yeah. Right? Like, why not? Hey. This is this is what we continually talk about as being an advantage. Yep. So yep. if there's even a shot that it works out for us, oh. I'm I'm on board. Oh. I'm, I wouldn't uh, – I'm not always in favor of C++ strictly better than Node or not, but if it's actually faster and more performant, it seems like they are – like, what I got out of those summaries is like a – you know, craftsmanship and a care and a, yep. a loving tuning that yeah. I would love to see. Um, yeah. And uh, I think it's it's a good sign that it's one of the original authors. Mm-hmm. Thanks yeah, for pointing I'm, out. Yeah, definitely. yeah, I can't wait to see how this develops because um, uh, Nihilus was the great white hope for the you know the the, the new generation of male clients, pretty male clients and that on got the Linux desktop. And, well, and you know, I. I, I I was only saying uh, to Popey a few days ago, you know, when when these projects die, somebody, you know, there's usually like, you know, five or six rage forks immediately Mm. afterwards. And there was none of that with Nihilus, probably because it's a complex code base. Mm -hmm. And then I saw this and I was like, yes, this is this is what we wanted. I know it sounds sounds kind of silly, but I I. I really got my head around email for a few months there, like I haven't for years. And after they announced they were killing it off, I switched back to uh, my traditional like webmail, Thunderbird, Kmail combo, which is horrible. And um, I don't, I don't think I've opened my inbox this week because I've just been when I get busy like that. But without the ability to see, the thing that Nilaeus gave me was two things that were so great: was the I snooze for later. So I could set a reminder and I could come back to it so I could I could clear them out of my inbox but but get back to them. And the other thing that I found super useful was it's surprising the the creepiness and and well done implementation of tracking they had where they had some sort of server side component with embedded code that was really good at at detecting when you opened the email which is an incredible indicator for when you're about to get an email, it turns out. And this is what I learned after using N1, was that almost everyone who emails me on a reoccurring basis opens the last email that they got from me and just hits reply and changes the subject, deletes the body, and sends me an email. Like, everybody does that. I thought that was just something I did. Everybody does that. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is, when they open up the old email, I get a notification. And I know in about five minutes, I'm going to get an email from a sponsor. And so, I know this sounds dumb, but I can mentally prepare myself for that communication. I can, can like, clear, psychologically clear my schedule. Okay, I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to think about this. And I actually was getting email done. And it was a couple of just snoozing and really good notifications um, it, I, I really loved it. So I'd love to see a fork. Yeah. I'm going to be watching that with some, some interest. We'll have a link to that in the show notes if you want to check it out. I have a quick mention before we move on. We, geez, we still have, oh my gosh, we still have Backtrack and the Gen 2 Challenge to get to. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Jam-packed This is a lot Gen going on. 2. This is a lot going on. Um, so just a quick mention. I wish we be could, quick now. I wish we could spend more time on this. Uh, the Manjaro Project is happy, I'm sure, <laughs> I would assume, to announce that they got an OEM to ship a laptop pre-installed with Manjaro uh, XFCE edition. So... Uh, <laughs> There you go, Joe. <laughs> That's good for you. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, it's the Spitfire Manjaro Special Edition. It's powered with a 7th generation Intel processor, 32 gigabytes of them RAMs, dual drive bays, and um, it can pretty much probably take whatever you throw at it. It's got a 1080p IPS display. We don't talk much about Manjaro. 
I, I mean, I haven't no. used it for a while. Yeah, well, you know, uh, growing up, my grandma always told me if you ain't got nothing nice, nothing nice to say, don't say it. I can't even. I, I, um, yeah, I, I'm not a big Manjaro advocate. I don't. We don't review Manjaro very often. I don't talk about Manjaro, but I know there's a portion of our, our audience that that definitely has had success with it. So yeah. I, I, and I mean, they seem like they have a fair amount of momentum. They've yeah. got their own community going, which right. is great. I, this is why I thought we could have made a segment out of this because, to be honest with you, it feels like a trend distributions more and more are starting to ink deals. Uh, I think probably the most prominent and successful one is the Entraware of a Tubatmate mm-hmm. one because to me that's sort of like the best of both worlds, great hardware, great company, great distro. Uh, and you're starting to see elementary OS with different trying and Solus rumors and all this, all these things that seem to be brewing. And it seems that all of them sort of have one common denominator and it's Clevo. And I think that's the enabling technology here because Clevo is providing the base platform of the laptop. Uh, the OEMs can then focus on the software implementations a bit more. And so what you are getting, and it's going to take a little while for the consumers to catch up, I would think, except for our audience, is you're going to get different levels of implementation. So you're going to have some Clevo resellers that have a really solid implementation. They really have nailed the firmware issues. They've nailed compatibility issues. They've worked back and forth with Clevo. Maybe they even have some leverage. Mm-hmm. I wonder if at some point we'll see like a Clevo competitor, so that so yeah, I was yeah. I was going to say it's not always Clevo. Undoubtedly, Clevo features. Could you give me an example of one that's not Clevo? Uh, the first couple of generations of the Entra where Apollo were oh, sure, top right. star. Yeah, top star. Uh, but this one is Clevo. Uh, the current generation is yes. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. Sorry. No, I mean the uh, Station X, the the Manjaro Spitfire is. Um, I'm not familiar with what what's being shipped there, but it could be. Clevo. It looks. It I'm, looks I'm, like ju- it I'm just saying yeah. that. Yes. It, okay. It's the enough. these Linux OEMs are not absolutely always Clevo. Okay. Quite often they are, but there are other ODMs that get used as well. Yeah. Okay. That's a fair point. I think that's a fair point. I think this one is this one. Um, I can't remember. I, I got the Clevo make at one point, but I'm pretty sure I, I, I tracked it down to a particular Clevo make, which is similar to probably the Apollo Galago line of machines. I'm not. I, I it, to me, I feel like that's um, that only matters in so much as how good is the OEM at doing the implementation. Yes. What kind of constraints does that put on the whole process that and you can't get around? Obviously, do you like the Clevo hardware? Yeah, right. Like that's a component. Some people well. do, some people don't. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like uh, these ODMs, uh, Topstar or uh, Clevo or whoever, are making it possible for distributions to offer a out of the box distribution experience. So instead of buying a box of CDs now, you can buy a laptop. And how long did we talk about how that was important for the Linux desktop, right? Even if it's not the hardware we want or even the distribution we want, it's certainly a different category than I have to buy and hope that this will work. Yeah. And, it, you know, if you think about it in terms of selling a box set of DVDs, I used to buy the SUSE box set. It was like six discs. Um, you know, I used to get the free CD from uh, Ubuntu. Um, yeah. Manjaro and Mandrake was mini discs. This is kind of like that same thing, don't you think? Mm-hmm. What, and what's important about this is that, you know, we've we've said for years and years and years, the reason why Linux is more widespread is because you can't go into brick and mortar stores right. and buy it. Yep. Now, the next best thing to that is having online retailers that make it available. Um, 
And, you know, we've seen a number of these uh, Linux vendors popping up recently, particularly in the UK. Um, obviously, Entroware have been around for some years now, uh, but we've had Station X, Star Labs, and I think there's one called Nimbu or something like that. So there's been three pop up in the UK in, you know, quite quick succession. And then another one that I've known about in Spain, but um, had the good fortune to meet at UbuCon this weekend, is Slimbook. And they have some very, very nice gear that they had on show. And there were lots of oohs and ahs and lots of people saying, I'm going to struggle not to buy one of Mm. these. They had some really terrific kit um, and chassis that I've not seen before. So I don't know where they're coming from, but they're really impressive. That's exciting. And, And they're the company that are providing that KDE Neon book. Oh, yeah. Very good. Huh. Okay. So this, the more we talk about it, um, I, I not only does it, can I see this taking off more and more, but I can also kind of understand why System76 feels compelled to ship Pop! OS. Imagine if they had um, an inside track or they saw the way this thing was blowing. Mm-hmm. This wind was blowing this direction where you're going to start having super specialized, you're going to have Solus laptops and elementary OS laptops and Ubuntu Mate laptops and Manjaro laptops and... Then you're going to have the large vendors like HP and Lenovo and, of course, Dell shipping stock Ubuntu. So if they don't have that extra value-add area, there, there's a gap there. S- I can see the logic path. Mm-hmm. However, uh, my, my counter-argument to that would have been there's still a market for somebody to do a really rock-solid vanilla Ubuntu implementation. Because at the end of the day, that's going to sell way more than any of these things do, probably combined. Especially with what we were just talking about, like customer feedback, like I like I have no problems with Dell, but like close customer feedback about software design is not something that they have a ton of experience with compared to say, let's like System seventy six is a little bit closer with their customer base, I would say. Yeah, and I could you so you can see that that path. You you look skeptical, Beard. No, I was just gonna say it's still really interesting to me that it's Manjaro that's coming out with a laptop. Like, if I made a list, they'd be pretty far down on who I would have expected to come out with a laptop. Hmm. I guess it's who you know, right? Yeah, I guess. Because you could see, like, certain distributions. Well, I guess, yeah, are you implying that maybe it's it's uh, implying more growth to Manjaro than we realize? Is that what you're saying? Like, maybe there's, yeah, maybe. Maybe there's more going on than we realize? Like... I feel like they they must think that they have a fairly large user base if they're coming out with hardware now. Yeah, I mean they got to figure they're well, not just Manjaro, but whoever's shipping the laptops must think they have mm-hmm. enough yeah, of right. a user base as yeah, well. That's it is it is that statement, isn't it? It's that they somebody did the business math here. It, so it's now time for the Manjaro challenge. So where's my Entergos laptop? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, but that's the thing. I mean, the, the thing is, is that you know there are lots of people using Arch Linux, or so the internet would have you believe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it would. I. <laughs> I would suggest that most of those people that say they're running Arch Linux have either installed Antergos or Manjaro. There are probably very few actually installing Arch. Do you think that's true? I mean, really, though, Wimpy, because once you install Arch, you don't really have to install it again. Like, it's just installed, and it could be installed for a very... So you can install it once six years ago, and then have claim... Have you ever installed Arch Linux? Yes, yeah, I have, and I would say you, it's... You, you have, have you? you yeah. You, you've not always just installed and, and Antergos. And Gentoo, and Gentoo, but I always... I will, I will grant you 
that if I were if I were in the last two years going to install Arch, I would absolutely go Antergros and not even consider yeah. going stock Arch. It's <laughs> exactly. just who, why waste the time? Well, it, my point exactly. It's all about time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair See, enough. That's yeah. funny. I always just boot into an Antegros live CD and then install stock Arch. Really? Yeah. Because then you have a GUI, you have Chrome or whatever, and. But otherwise, I can install everything in Antigros and like huh. two Pac-Man commands. I suppose if I was going to do it today, if I for some reason wanted to install Stock Arch today, that's probably maybe how I would do it if I was going to think about it. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's just I think you're you're right, Wimpy. Is it really is? Uh, it really is like uh, it's that it's a it's a badge of honor in a sense on the internet to run Arch, and so everybody proclaims they run Arch. But maybe the most maybe you're right. Maybe the majority of them are really Manjaro users. Maybe they're all Manjaro users. That's not Arch. I mean, I hate to be that guy. I hate to be that guy because I hate that guy. I hate that guy when you're like looking for a problem. He's like, oh, you're using Manjaro. Sorry, can't help. But it's not Arch. I, I can't believe that Manjaro has more users than Intergos, though. It's been around longer. Not, not by much. Yeah, but you remember people used to really buy into that Manjaro is tested Arch thing for like years? Yeah, like they have the delayed release. Yeah, people... That, that, that always pushed me away from it, though. If well, like, yeah, because if you thought about it for more than 30 seconds, of course it would. But people yeah. that didn't think about it, that that sounds like, yeah, Arch, but tested like Debian does? Well, shit. I'll put that on my rig. I mean, you know, if you hear it like that, that sounds good. It's yeah, like Arch, but all the... Yeah, but then when you, you're like, oh, yeah, well, of course, if they only have maybe 3,000 people running the testing version... It doesn't really do anything other than just slow down the updates. That seems like a bad idea. But that takes 30 seconds. I, I feel like we're suddenly crapping on Manjaro, and I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. You're right. If you have nothing yeah, to we say. Should, we should be celebrating <laughs> we should. their glorious success of well, getting an OEM behind yeah, them. And because a serious, that's a big deal for any distro. It is. It's it a serious matter. validation. And, it, and it's a big deal for Linux because it means, you know, we've, we, we saw those... Uh, Netcraft is it? Net data. Yep. Statistics: three point something percent. Uh, Linux users are a growing trend there. There is obviously a growing market for these OEMs mm-hmm. to sell mm-hmm. Linux devices and Linux laptops, yeah. and we should be applauding that and encouraging it because it doesn't actually matter what distro is being sold. That's one more laptop, one more person joining us, yeah. and one less of them, and more resources spent like getting. Getting firmware, getting polished, ironed out things that are yeah. in theory somewhat yeah. portable to whatever you want to run. One, you know, you think about too the other the other net effect this is having is it's another reseller who is pulling on Clevo to support Linux better. So there could be a come because of this because of this market now there could become a point where Clevo is one of the best supported Linux <laughs> right? machines out there yeah. because they got all these people selling Clevo machines mm-hmm. now. And, so, I, and I know that some of these OEMs that are using, you know, the likes of um, Clevo are starting to talk to the firmware update guys to actually get these, you know, the firmware and BIOS for these devices supported by GNOME software and firmware mm-hmm. update. So, you know, if this trend grows, there'll be more people putting more pressure on these ODMs to release their BIOS and firmware under licenses um, or agreements that enable these things to go into these public repositories so they can benefit from automatic updates yeah. and we yeah. don't have to be like barbarians booting off you know floppy yeah. disks yes this is stuff. a serious this is a serious tip of the hat to the manjaro project because like we said earlier somebody did the business math here 
and decided it was worth their time, which is a real validation to the project. And this is the kind of like real supply chain, like you were yeah. just saying, like the supply chain stuff that will make longer term change that is very different than just yeah. some software. I, I want to know your thoughts, Wimpy, though, on them choosing to do a customized XFCE spin that's been quote unquote tailored for the hardware. Uh, I don't know anything about XFCE, so you're asking the wrong guy. I don't know, I'm sorry. What do you think? I mean, really, what do you think it means to say why why XFCE? What's that about? Is that is that a Manjaro thing? I thought that was the default desktop for Manjaro. Maybe. Maybe. I, I thought only masochists use XFCE. <laughs> <laughs> right. I kid. Well, I kid. I kid. Well, Joe's you, not you listening. Do, you do know one. Yeah. <laughs> I kid. You know, you spot. You thought of speaking of speaking of Joe, the market research. Uh, I did a little digging for Linux Action News. Uh, a couple episodes, one episode ago, and uh, got some of the in, got some of the information behind where that market share number came from, and um, why we hear about it from time to time, and how many sites are involved in that information. So I would recommend you check out uh, recent episodes of Linux Action News. I think it was sixteen, but that's off the top of my head, where I kind of did a little deep dive into where that three percent number is coming from. It's actually, um. Of course, I'm saying this, but uh, I actually think that three percent number is low, and I only and I, I say I agree. that I say that after I researched how they're getting to the number, and once I realized how they're getting to the number, I'm pretty confident. But I don't know, of course, but I'm pretty confident in saying that it's low. And you, you think so too, Wimpy? Well, Pornhub tells us so. So, <laughs> oh. yeah. Well, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, so it's true. They publish the stats every year. Yeah, I know. They do. We, yeah, We've got significantly more perverts than three percent. Well, let's be honest. I mean, it's a great platform for porn. We've said that before. It truly is. It's the best platform for porn, as far as I'm concerned. Because, and I think uh, you know, porn shops have been good to Linux, running Linux servers yeah, on the back end, serving really, tons of video. Absolutely, the server side, the infrastructure side, and the fact that we don't launch executables has been really great for, <laughs> <laughs> for Linux. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well there's that be safe everybody <laughs> <laughs> this is the more you know on the unplug program <laughs> okay so we have uh, many things still to get to i don't know if this is going to work uh but we i do i i spent some time to blowing off some steam this week uh i got a lot going on i got a lot i got a lot in my head i got a lot i'm trying to figure out and i thought what better way to focus all of this random energy than to try to break my TP-Link and Belkin uh, smart devices. Turns out my TP-Links run a uh, 2.6 kernel, a Linux 2.6 Ouch. kernel. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. So I had some fun. and uh, What is I, this, 2005? <laughs> Cali Linux, we're finally going to talk about it. We should have, we really should have led with this. I didn't really, <laughs> we just kind of meandered this whole episode. Uh, but we're going to talk about Cali Linux here in a moment. But first, let's take a moment and get real. Let's get real about DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and uh, use our promo code Unplugged. It's one word after you create your account. This will give you a $10 credit. You can spin up a server. It could be Ubuntu. It could be Fedora. It can even be FreeBSD or CentOS or Debian. I mean, do you have any FreeBSD droplets, Beard? Mm, why would anybody do that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Wes, would you have any reason for a FreeBSD droplet? Well, maybe you want to run some jails. That'd yeah. be a great way to run, like... Yeah, I a just, thousand I different just, websites. I, you know, I guess if you want end-to-end ZFS, I yeah. just prefer the industry standard Docker on my uh, on my uh, industry standard Ubuntu. I mean, I, it's just me. You know, it's just me, Wes. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why. 
I am still needling the BSD Now guys. And I don't know why. It's like, it's just something I just... It's in your blood this now. This is my moment in the show to needle the BSD Now guys, and I take it almost every week. I take it almost every week. But anyway, We're going to catch you with the net BSD droplet someday, and you are going to have well, so much shame. You know, Chris, it's probably because on BSD Now, they need less. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Why would anybody install those Linux? Uh, I was just going to say, uh, DigitalOcean has been saving my bacon recently. I spun it up by droplet to run OpenVPN, um, and that's been very... Very, very, very handy. But uh, I'll save that for another story because I believe uh, Mr. Wimpy has one from the uh, Ubukon. Ubu- Ubukon. <laughs> Ubu- <Yeah, laughs> I do. What is so, it? What is it, sir? Um, Popey and I did a couple of Snapcraft workshops sure, at Ubukon. Sure. As one uh, does. Mm-hmm. One on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. And we went into a classroom and it wasn't set up the way we needed. So we span up a bunch of DO droplets and configured all of the course material on it. And we did it all with DOCTL and a simple script to go and zap all of the machines with what we needed. And we ran our classrooms off DO droplets. Ah, very good. That's nice. And then afterwards, did you destroy them or do you still have them around? Just destroyed them. Yeah. Yeah. And it cost us a few pennies to run, you know, several hours of classes Mm -hmm. on on dozens of uh, droplets. That reminds me of the time that uh, just this last Linux Fest Northwest... I think it was this last one. I can't remember if this was the event, but during the live stream, we spun up a DigitalOcean droplet, transferred some stuff over to it, and then when we were done, we destroyed it. And it's, it's, I don't know, there's something about that. This feels ultimately powerful. Like, it's really a lot of incredible compute power on demand. And you can spin it up, and you can use it, and you can run your Linux that you like to use, and there's great documentation, and a simple dashboard, and an elegant API, and they got data centers everywhere. And it's just available to you when you need it. <laughs> it makes you feel a little bit like Tony Stark, and I, I just love it. If you use our promo code Unplugged, one word, you get the $10 credit, and then you can play around. Run like the $0.03 cents an hour machine with our $10 credit. It's great. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Unplugged after you have created your account over at DigitalOcean.com. And by the way, in their uh, community documentation section, they have a new tutorial on, or I guess it's really an introduction to load testing your box. So if you want to test network latency, CPU, memory, disk I.O., all that kind of stuff, they got a really great uh, tutorial on it. And it's it's applicable to anybody running Linux, uh, but it's just an example of the value that they add to DigitalOcean users, too, because obviously it's applicable to DigitalOcean droplets. I want to give a challenge to the community, Chris. Oh, yeah? I want them to come up with things to do with a DigitalOcean API that nobody's ever thought of. Ooh, that would be good. I want to see ridiculous things, like stuff they never planned yeah. for. Yeah, DigitalOcean.com, create the account, then use a promo code Unplugged, one word. Now, finally, let's talk about Kali Linux, and I feel like the only way to appropriately talk about Kali Linux would be to talk about Backtrack Linux, because the last time you and I spoke about this, audience, we were really talking about Backtrack Linux. And it was a solid distribution. People came together and they created something that was kind of unique. It was kind of the uh, smashing together of slacks and Nopics. And then they would sort of smash it together and do these big releases with all these kind of features. And I really loved it. Um, Full disclosure, I I used it professionally to make a living for a while. So obviously I'm a little biased about Backtrack, but loved it. Back really was a great tool. And um, but. But things move on. People move on. Projects change. And they later on down the road decided to essentially change things up and rebase. And they rebased on Debian. And around this time they launched and they called it Kali Linux. 
And Kali Linux is a penetration testing distribution that's targeted towards ethical hackers. So let's uh, crack open a beer here and talk a little bit about Kali Linux because this week I was having some fun. And I I want to say there's a few different ways you can use Kali Linux. You surprisingly could legitimately use it as your desktop distribution. GNOME 3, they've got a couple of extensions installed like the applications menu. In fact, Wes, if you want... <laughs> this thing right here, I was running it this week on the. Uh, I'm going to turn on. You know, see if, let's see if the uh, studio cam's working because if the, I don't know if it is or not because I want we'll people find to find out. I want people to see this thing here. So I've got it here on the Dell Precision 7720 <clears throat> laptop, massive, which is just a monster. And the thing about this laptop is it reminds me a lot of the Bonobo that I had back in the day when I was doing penetration testing. And uh, so here, Wes, I've got this is oh uh, yeah, this is Kali Linux running off of the live uh, thumb drive there. And uh, take a look at like the application menu stuff and whatnot. It's um, you could just use that as your daily driver. I'm running GNOME here. It's not bad. Yeah, GNOME three, and they also have uh, support for uh, VMware. They have, in fact, VMware kernel four nine. Yeah, they, yeah, it's you know, it's they got VMware Fusion uh, uh, boot images and all kinds of different well, ways. Well, what to get is this traditional style menu plugin they've yeah. got installed? And one of the nice things they support is persistent mode, so you can still boot off a of live media but save your data on a GPG encrypted. Persistent state. That's excellent. Yes, it is. It is excellent. It's very nice when you're doing different kinds of work. When you're doing a multi-day project, that is a very nice feature. Oh, they've got OpenVos in here. That's one thing I was going to mention. Well, let's talk about that. So, OpenVos is where I wanted to start. So, I want to I want to walk people down uh, breaking their own network, and uh, you got to start by discovering your own network. And there's a lot of different ways you can do this. Nmap is a great tool as well. But I want to point you to NetDiscover. It's installed by default on Kali Linux. Nice. And it's a network address discovering tool, and it will really quickly. It'll if you if you pull the. I've got some screenshots. So, anyways, it'll it'll quickly it identify all the machines on your network and the vendors who make the hardware. So I could very quickly see all of the TP-Link and the Belkin and the three Amazon Echo devices that are on our network, because it gave me vendor and what I assume it's doing. Although I don't know this for sure, but what I assume it is doing is in the background, it's looking up the MAC addresses of these devices with a vendor database, and it's matching MAC address to vendor, and then it's saying, okay, well, it has these ports open, it has on this network IP address, and this is the hardware. So within about 30 seconds, using NetDiscover, and uh, the command is really simple. In my case, it was NetDiscover space 192.168.0.0 slash 24. And that told it to scan my entire network, 192.168.0.0.24. Now, my network nice. is a 192 network. Yeah. If you had a 172 or a 10.1 network, you would need to adjust your command. But NetDiscover space 192.168.0.0 slash 24, you execute that command, and within seconds, NetDiscover will find every device on your network. It'll give you the manufacturer information about Man. it. Man, see, this seems super helpful because there's a lot of tools I've used where I, I've been very frustrated with like a like an NMS that does auto-discovery but does a bunch of other stuff too. So if I could just have one tool that would keep me apprised of changes to my network but without having a bunch of nonsense I great don't Great for need. that too. Great for that wow. too. It's really great. Yeah. So then you get your list of machines you want to go after. The machines you want to attack or audit. And uh, for me, it was the TP-Link devices. And this is where uh, OpenVos comes in. So how did you know about OpenVos? Uh, I looked at using it at 
uh, various employers before. Yeah, so there's there's several different uh, assessment tools. These are tools that will scan a host IP and just bang on every single port, try executing different commands. If it gets a telnet connection, it'll try to log in. Like It just does everything to abuse a box. And you can have it abuse an entire network, or you can have it just hammer a machine. And it's not necessarily going to execute a payload, but it's going to tell you what doesn't work, what is vulnerable, um, if it leaks a certain timestamp that could be used to decrypt data. Yeah. It tells you all these things about a host, which I was curious about with these TP-Link devices, <laughs> which didn't really give me much information, unfortunately. But um, OpenVAS or OpenVAS, the reason why I went with it, it stands – OpenVAS, by the way, stands for the Open Vulnerability Assessment System. That's what the VAS is, is the Vulnerability Assessment System. And I started using it because it, it reminds me a lot of a tool that I used back in the day called Nessus. Oh, yeah. The I've Nessus Vulnerability that. Scanner, yeah. So this is along that same line. It's an open source vulnerability scanner that subscribes to a database. Guys, this is key. It subscribes to a database, and it pulls down all of the latest vulnerabilities and, and exploits constantly. So you have the latest That's where the stuff. real like, automation stuff that you don't have to yes. do anymore. And by the way, the or first— Or weren't ever doing— and all of the open VAS packages are in Kali, by the way. So it's really easy. There's a meta nice. package you can app get, you can apt install open VAS and it, it pulls down the common and the core. And there's a first time setup wizard you can run under Kali Linux. And it will go down, it will set up the database, which I believe might be Postgres by default on Kali. Excellent. It pulls down all of the vulnerability assessment updates, which on, on our 100 megabit connection here at the studio took 45 minutes to download. So it will take a long time and do it where you have a fast connection. But once it's done, you can throw the weight of the security community's entire knowledge set at a system. And you can just punish it to see what it, what it is vulnerable to. And one of the things that's a lot of fun is once you get results in OpenVAS, and there's other ways to do this under Kali. OpenVAS is the way I like to do it, but there's other ways. But what I do is I take the data set I get from OpenVAS, and I run it through something called Metasploit. Metasploit is more like a list of known exploits, and, and it's like macros to execute them. Metasploit is like... Imagine a whole bunch of shell scripts that do bad shit on your system, only it's everything. It's like remote RPC connections, it's SQL database connections, it's HTTP stuff. And you tell Metasploit, this is the host, this is the vulnerability it has, which I got using OpenVAS. You tell Metasploit now, okay, here's the IP, here's the port, here's the, it's running Apache. Go execute a shell on that system. So you say, here's Apache, here's the IP, now go give me shell. That's what Metasploit does, and it's, it's so much fun because you can look at a system with OpenVAS and go, oh, they have a vulnerability in MySQL, and then you go tell Metasploit, go talk to MySQL at this IP, and now you own the box. Yep, and it can be a great way to go verify that. Did your patch sets actually apply? Go, go Metasploit it. If you get in, then uh, no, they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, and I've linked in the show notes an article on the uh, Kali Linux docs page about using Metasploit, and it's a, it's it's something you could load to your machine and have it dedicated to a hard drive or something like I'm doing where you can have it on a thumb drive and from time to time you fire it up and just do an audit of your network. A little Kali and Docker? Yeah. I like to think of Metasploit as like unit tests for vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's um kind of complicated to set up. It's not hard. I won't say hard, but I'll say it's complicated to set up. But once you get set up, it's pretty easy. And met- and um, Metasploit's pretty much set up out of the box on Kali, yeah. which is really cool. So it, what I decided to do was just sort of bang on these TP-Links. Now, they don't really return much. So uh, what I noticed is TP-Link is um, 
they have a, they've they've changed all of like the return codes, all the all the like the 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 version identifiers doesn't return any of that stuff. So I think when people say they have like a hardened Linux, they have Linux that doesn't respond on any ports except for the ones they need, and the services that respond don't give you any identifying information. So if you somehow knew the version of like some software that was on there via like another leak of the companies, like if there was a TP link a TP link leak about the version of Linux or the version of Node or the version of Nginx that they have on that little tiny little plug, then you could attack it with Metasploit. But because when you do a vulnerability scan, they're not revealing any version information. They're not except for the kernel version, which is exactly what you would want. That's that's what you you don't you don't want somebody to be able to come into your network and scan your network and get all the version information for the embedded Apache server and the embedded database server. You don't want that. So based on my just really quick scans of both the Belkin Wemo devices and the TP-Link smart switches, um, while they're running old versions of Linux, these little smart plugs, they're running old versions of Linux. There's $65 computers running Linux, or $35 if you buy them on sale. Right, yeah. But they're, um, they're like bastardized, bastardized versions of all of the software that have been modified and gimped to not fully be functional or report themselves correctly. Which I guess at the end of the day I'm happy about. I wouldn't necessarily want them to. But it was sort of um it was sort of like uh revealing in a sense to to just even get like the kernel version and the ports and all of the IPs and all of the MAC address. Like I felt like I had a better understanding of my network. Yeah. Even though I didn't really crack a TP link, I didn't crack one of these Belkins, and I didn't I kinda didn't really try too hard. I did walk away with the sense that now I have like a complete picture and I, I took screenshots too. So like now I have like all the IPs of all my network devices, what their MAC addresses are, what the vendors are. So I know how many, you know, it's that and it alone gives you a nice good. baseline, right? So that yeah. you add future stuff and it looks way different or you see a bunch more activity, like you totally. can now benchmark against yeah. that. Yeah. I, I really, I, I really just would say just, just for fun, go spend an afternoon banging around with Cali Linux. I, I highly, highly recommend it. And uh, if you're uh, if you're looking for different implementations, go check out their download page. They have several. I've, I've linked to a couple of different ones that I use, but they have uh, Kali Hunter or Net Hunter. They have um, the VM version. They have 64 bit and 32 bits. They have KDE, Mate, Enlightenment 17. <laughs> it's just to have like a hundred different spins. And I just I just went for the stock 64 bit Kali ISO, which is uh, GNOME 3 based, and uh, you can find it at kali.org/downloads for that. And uh, if you got an extra one, pour one out for Backtrack. That was a real tool back in the day. I really like that. Guys, uh, we, are, um, we are plumb overtime. We're not just out of time. We are overtime right now. And I, and I wanted to mention before we go, so let's, you know what? Okay, all right, so let's do this. Let's, I hate to do it. I, <laughs> I can't believe it. I see the pain in your eyes. Let's punt the Gen 2 challenge to next week because uh, before we go, I just want to give everybody a heads up about, I know I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But uh, before we go. It's okay, Chris. I'm still compiling anyway. There's a community announcement I want to make. Uh, the, bum, bum, bum. Our friends over at the Ubuntu podcast have something special in the works. Wimpy, are you still here? Can you, can you tell us about what's going on in regards to a giveaway over at the Ubuntu podcast? Uh, well, it's not a giveaway. It's a, a hard-earned competition. Okay, fair so, enough. It is, isn't uh, it? It is. You're right. <laughs> we, we ran a competition in partnership with Entroware. Um, we reviewed the Entroware Apollo, the current generation, and they allowed us to use that as the prize in a, in a competition. 
which we've been running for many weeks, and the winners of that competition will be announced this Thursday. We've been tweeting all of the entries via the Ubuntu Podcast Twitter channel over the last three days, and on our subreddit, all of the entries are there, so you can go and upvote those entries. We've already picked our winners. We're interested in seeing what the audience thinks compared to what we've picked as the winners. So you can go and have a look at people that have composed music, written stories, written oh. poems, created applications, uh, drawings. There's just a, a, a wide range. And the theme yeah. was 20. So create something in 20 colors or 20 shapes or 20 lines of code or in 20 minutes and people have really run with it and we've and we got just, a really interesting geez. selection we gotta i gotta you and i have to consult next time because we just gave away the xps 13 we just gave it away and you got you got real stuff you're like comics and music yeah and, yeah that is great yeah. and it's so interesting because every time you do a contest like this of course i can say this for you because i don't know if you guys want to you really discover how awesome your audience is yeah. absolutely i mean we we loved looking over these entries and they're they're all fabulous and yeah, yeah. um it's, it's amazing we opened it up because we didn't just want a load of people giving us a bunch of code we deliberately opened it up so that our listeners you know who are authors or artists or musicians and not coders could also you know compete on a on a level playing ground and it was absolutely brilliant I think that's great. So check out the Ubuntu podcast, and uh, I look forward to hearing that episode now. Unfortunately, that means the Gen 2 challenge will be punted. Whoa, whoa. Who saw that coming? I didn't see that coming. Couldn't have happened. Couldn't couldn't have been predicted. Couldn't have been. All those times I was spent compiling for nothing. Darn it, this time I'm going with Dash O3. You know what? I'm going to wipe the whole thing and do it all over again. Come back oh, next God. week. Come back next week. Beardsley, where should people find you throughout the week? Uh, Twitter.com slash your Kyle P or rec.net. Rec.net. Mr. Wes? At Wes Payne. And you can follow me at Chris Elias at Jupiter Signal and LinuxUnplugged.reddit.com. See you back here next week. Well, since we didn't do the Gen 2 challenge, <laughs> I got a different idea for my, my my title suggestion is changing. I feel like maybe oh, we, we should go with the Kali Linux segment instead, since that's what we ended <laughs> I guess and, so. Chris, the sad part is I was just about to install GNOME on Gen oh, 2. You should still do it. You can, you can report back next week about how installing GNOME went. Uh, and I'm doing it without System D from a third-party repo as well. Oh, you crazy girl! You crazy. That is. Yeah. We'll save it for the future. We'll definitely talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll save it for next week, man. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. Uh, speaking of the Ubuntu podcast contest, that you know, as you know, he opened it for designers and things. And as a designer and a writer, I uh, submitted some Python code.
Heyo! <laughs> uh, I also installed Ubuntu 17 just now, by the way, nice. the 17.10 I beta. <laughs> I know. The, it's ironic that we're trying to do the Gen 2 challenge because all I really want to do is just load all the different versions of Ubuntu right mm-hmm. now. That's <laughs> all, like, oh, all the flavors. Sure, yeah. It's good for them, though. Good for them. By the way, I put it on my MacBook that I got for my birthday. Really? <laughs> oh. a, a new one or a used one? It was one off of eBay because my yeah. dad didn't want to invest What's some the money. Year? What's the yeah. year? What's the year? 2013 late version 15 yep. inch with nvidia graphics that's what i have that's that is the sweet spot right now i i mean and you know what yeah, it's, it's still a good system it's still it super is. fast yeah, and i tell you what the high dpi display on it looks crisp as hell yeah i know i i've because ne- I, I had had you know what really sucks though the only thing is the only good desktop that looks on it with the gnome high 3. display, gnome three. Yep, yep. you're in yeah. my mind. Yeah, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I that really bites because you can't do XFCE, you can't yeah. do KDE, you can't do none of that with. The, but it, it with looks the... amazing. It looks like yes, you could does. lick the screen good. It, <laughs> but please know. don't, don't lick the screen. Yeah, it, I've had Hell I've no. had high DPI on a 13 inch screen, but when we put Linux on the MacBook Pro with a 15 inch high DPI, pff, whole nother level. But it, yeah, it's a whole other level. It's so good. The only thing that I've had troubles with is getting the graphics switching to work properly. Oh, I don't even bother. I just run the NVIDIA all the time. Yeah, I get you. I tried Gen 2 on it. Oh, talk about a nightmare. <laughs>